This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to the Money and Markets podcast. I'm Dan Coatesworth and joining me this week are my esteemed colleagues from AJ Bell, Danny Hewson and Tom Selby. In a second, we'll explain the key factors that have caused stock markets around the world to take a wobble. We'll also reveal why shares in retail companies have been going bananas this year. And we'll take a look at the latest on a sharp rise in scams. Later in the show, Dan will be talking to Tinika Fricky from Waverton about the companies on the stock market that might benefit from structural changes caused by the pandemic now that society is beginning to reopen. We're also going to be talking to Mike Padgham from the Independent Care Group and Tom Selby about the latest Queen's speech, which promised to bring forward social care funding reform. First up, though, Dan's going to tell us why stock markets have been causing just a few headaches for investors this week. It's been crazy, Dan. It absolutely has. You know, global markets have pulled back on heightened concerns around inflation. And, you know, that does matter on a number of levels. I think, you know, first, higher prices mean your money won't go as far when buying stuff. Uh, but equally, for from an investment point of view, higher inflation could force central banks like the Federal Reserve in the US to raise interest rates, to slow the economy and try and bring inflation down. Now, stock markets have been propped up by low interest rates for quite a while, and they've been helped by extensive stimulus measures by central banks. So if those factors change, it's fair to say we might get lower returns from stocks and shares. So currently the Fed, uh, another way of saying the Federal Reserve, is, is saying it's happy to let the economy run hot for a while, but some investors now fear that the Federal Reserve could move faster than it's indicated so far. And that would be a shock to the markets. So just as we're recording this podcast, we just had some breaking news come through saying that US Consumer Price Index, uh, which is a key measure of inflation, jumped faster than expected in April to 4.2%. So the, the forecast was only 3.6%. So this is essentially saying inflation is getting even stronger than people thought. And that's the biggest rise we've seen since 2008. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, the factors that are troubling investors uh, just seem to be getting worse. So we've had government bond yields been rising about these concerns of inflation. Um, so high yields dent the value of companies' future cash flow. So that's really bad for fast growth businesses like technology companies. And, you know, tech stocks have understandably been hard hit this year. So we've seen the likes of Tesla falling by about 30% since January. The popular investment trust Scottish Mortgage is down by about 22% since February because a lot of its holdings are tech companies. And you just have to look in the commodities world. Copper and iron ore are shooting up. Uh, you know, and Chinese factory gate prices have risen to a three-year high of 6.8%. Of course, that indicates what domestic consumers and Western importers will pay for goods. Danny has been talking about a shortage of computer chips on previous podcast. And, you know, if you're a UK homeowner, you're potentially facing higher bills for renovation work because building companies are having to deal with rising material costs. And there's a big shortage of stuff like concrete um, and timber and roof tiles. So 
I think the big question is how long will this inflation boom last? Now, if it's only going to be short term, as some people think, we might be able to just ride through this issue and, and, and perhaps you might see global stock markets uh, recovering quite quickly. But if it's still here in six months time, we could be having some very serious discussions about interest rate hikes and the stock market will not like that. No, um, we have seen, obviously, non-essential retail shops now um, open across England, Scotland and Wales. The economy reopening, people getting out and spending. And of course, that is when we start to see concerns about inflation, not only in the US, but also in the UK. And we're starting to get a feel for the strength of trading over the past month. Yeah, that's right, Danny. We're getting some quite interesting feedback from shopkeepers. Um, particularly about how they're they're shifting to the online channel. And we're also seeing various brands try something new as they try to adapt to this new world post-pandemic. Yeah, it's fascinating to see what retailers are, are doing at the moment to try and get shoppers away from their tablets because we've all been forced to just shop online in lockdown and many people have have just got used to it and uh, the retailer next recently said that it was an uncomfortable truth that physical stores are and will remain at a disadvantage to online competition and we've seen of course lots of stores like Debnam's and some of Arcadia's brands being taken over by um, online only because they weren't able to survive on the high street. But as shoppers are going back, we're seeing some retailers change the way that they are offering what what they do. They're trying to bring people in either by really sort of catching people's attention by focusing on their lifestyle. So I'm thinking really about a really clever thing that Next did, um, getting home base to sell their plants and things in their stores amongst their home furniture. So of course, when you wander into a store, you feel like you're in a garden and it makes you think, oh, actually, that would look really nice nestled next to my daffodils or whatever. And that's been further evidence this week in results from the lifestyle brand Jules. And they referred to themselves as a lifestyle brand. Now, we saw its shares climb 8% after it said that full year sales would beat expectation. And like Next, it offers customers a chance to buy other brands through its platform, brands that fit in with its ethos. And it's recently bought Garden Trading. And it says that post-lockdown trading has been really brisk. And its boss, Nick Jones, has said that much of the bricks and mortar success over the last few weeks, and they really have seen sales rise, is because of the location of the stores to what they call lifestyle locations. And it's even now putting stores into centre parks. And I think that is what retailers are going to be looking at more and more, getting the biggest bang for their buck, making sure that they have got the clients, the customers that they need because they're possibly not going to be in town centres anymore, city centres anymore, because of the way that we're working. So what we've seen with Pret is that they're going to be selling their products in Tesco stores because they want to be able to still get that lunch crowd, but that lunch crowd might not be working from the offices. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it was quite interesting one. Immediately, why, why is a sandwich company opening up shop inside a supermarket? But there must be a good chunk of their 
audience who just wants a posh sandwich or something better than the the egg and mayonnaise 99p <laughs> one that Tesco offers. <laughs> I love a pret sandwich. It's my absolute downfall. Yeah. Fritter away your money. Yeah. And then obviously we're talking about share prices and how Jules's uh, stock had jumped. Actually, I was taking a look at the retail sector in general and the London Stock Exchange, and there's been some very, very big share price gains this year. Just to give you some examples, we've had Lookers, the car retailers, up by 226% so far this year. Card factories up by 119%. French Connections prices doubled. And Superdry has seen its shares rise by 84% in a month. I mean, this is, you know, this is not what you expect from let alone the retail sector, from from stocks in general. They don't normally move this fast. And I think what's been happening is that the reopening has been very successful for so many companies. And we've had the likes of Next and Greg's um, and the Works all saying that trading has been better than expected. You know, Greg's shares are now at an all-time high, and it believes 2021 profits could actually match that of 2019. So, you know, I think that's quite impressive if you think about the disruption to trading, uh, you know, for many months, um, e- even during the start of 2021. So, you know, upgraded earnings guidance, definitely helping to drive up the share prices. But I, I would say you need to think carefully if you're interested in investing in this area and you perhaps want to ride the positive momentum. Now, the list of these top rises in the retail sector is dominated by companies that were previously struggling or uh, surrounded by bad news. So last year, Lookers was subject to a mis-selling probe by the regulator. Card Factory has been at risk of breaching its banking covenants for a while. Superdry has been struggling and trying to turn its business around. So really, what you've seen is the slightest bit of good news has actually transformed these shares from being priced to fail to next you know, kind of they're experiencing a relief rally because things aren't too bad for them. But, you know, a rising share price doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be good businesses to invest in for the long term. And I think the second issue is the level of earnings expectations across the retail sector, because I, I get the impression that analysts were too pessimistic. So you've got lots of companies now beating forecasts, but it's really what matters throughout the year um, that will be depending, you know, the, the key driver for their for their share price as we go on, not simply, say, three or four weeks since non-essential shops have reopened. You know, Next has come out and says it doesn't believe that trading levels will be indicative of demand for the rest of the year. Greg's has also made a warning saying you know, there's considerable uncertainty at the moment. So I just think that if, you, if you're buying those retail shares today, you've got to think about what's prospects for future earnings. Um, you know, Greg's is trading on 30 times next year's forecast earnings, which seems quite high for someone who just sells sausage rolls. You know, we've been here before with Greg's. It needs to keep beating estimates to trade on such a high level. I think I remember a couple of years ago when it only met forecasts, it didn't beat them, and the share price had a big sell-off. So I think you know, it's great to see retail uh, companies issuing good news, but um, like, like Nex says, perhaps don't expect that to be the tone for the whole of the year going forward. And I would imagine lots of people will be taking a long look at some of the hospitality businesses next week because, of course, we will see them being able to open up indoor dining. And I was taking a look at open table reservations earlier. And 
although people have been flocking back to to beer gardens and outdoor spaces, obviously a lot of these businesses haven't been able to serve their customers because they haven't had those or the amount of outdoor space has been minuscule. So we'll be keeping a close eye on those stocks next week. So a lot of investors are excited about opportunities for companies now that different countries are starting to get back on their feet after the pandemic. So to talk about this topic, I'm pleased to welcome back to the podcast, Tinika Fricke, who is the head of UK equity research at Waverton. So hello, thanks very much for coming back. Hi, Dan. Thank you very much for having me again. It's a pleasure. Well, brilliant. Let's. Should we start off by looking at um, sort of the, the reopening of the economy. So it, it, what, what's your impression in terms of who's doing quite well? Because obviously we, we seem to hear sort of positive noises coming out of the US and the UK and other countries. Is, is there any, any ones that have really caught your eye at all? You know, obviously, we're biased here in the UK, right? We're doing very well on, on the, the vaccine programme. Um, the US is also doing well. Um, there's probably in the US a little bit of differentiation between, you know, states, the different states, but, but on, on, you know, by and large, they're, they're, they're moving strongly on the um, vaccination. Um, you know, obviously, Israel is doing well. Um, you know, so, so there's some smaller uh, countries in the world. You know, China is doing, doing well, but at the same time, you've, you've got countries that seem to, be going into the reverse, and India is probably the the, the, the most the best known. Um, it seems to be that if it's because of spreading from India, but certainly Southeast Asia in general seems to struggle. Um, you know, m- making a lot of headway. And I'm thinking of Thailand and Indonesia in particular. Um, and and Europe is 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 also very slow. Um, so from our point of view, you know, the UK and, 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 and the US and China are probably, you know, the main markets where we think we can see some interesting opportunities. So the, 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 the clothing retailer Next has just issued a training update saying it's had a pretty good three weeks since shops are able to reopen in England. But it gives a little warning saying doesn't expect it to stay like this. So um, I wonder whether they're sort of you know, they're, they're, when we've been at home during lockdown, uh, for lots of people have been at home over the last year and so, we, we spent lots of money on stuff to to relieve the boredom, you know, particularly clothes and and other things. I, I, I was wondering if retailers might find it quite hard going forward if 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 we switch how we spend all this money that we uh, still have saved up uh, and more on leisure experiences and and that's you know the hospitality industry. Do, do you think retail is going to be um, have a little sweet spot at the moment because we've all missed the shops, but perhaps give it a couple of months, they're going to find it a lot harder. Well, I, um, you know, I'm a bit less um, cautious than Next. Next always tries to set expectations low and then beat them. You know, so they tend to be on the cautious side and, and that's probably the right thing to do as, as, as a company. Um, but, you know, you just touch on, so, so if we go out more to nice posh restaurants, you know, what do we need? You know, we, 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 you can't go show up yeah. in your tracksuit. You know, so I do think there is a linkage between doing more leisure stuff um, and, and different kind of clothing. Um, you, you know, I th- it's not just about clothes. You know, I think also the, 
the, the, the kind of the personal care. So you sort of the health and beauty segment, for example, has, has, um, you know, people just haven't bothered with, you know, I'm sure that might not be that sort of appropriate for you, Dan, but, you know, when, <laughs> if you don't go out that much, you know, there's less lipstick, <laughs> you know, uh, or, you know, so, so I think there's, there's going to be more spending on, on, on those, um, things that, that, that do you, you, um, spend on when you face, um, you know, peers in society. Um, and, and don't forget most people, you know, obviously, you know, are still working from home. So, so that sort of, um, you know, going back to the office spending hasn't, hasn't happened yet. So I, I, you know, I think, um, initially I think we'll see a real, because everything, as you rightly said, we've ordered from home. And I think they'll, and you see that in the next week by week um, table, that, that you know, uh, generally there's been more spending and, and the main one that's driven that is shops. Yeah, so people like that experience again. And and I think actually that will, you know, continue for a bit bit longer. Um, so it, it's not going to be a straight line. Um, and... You know, consumer spending will be broad spread. It's not. It's not just on clothing. Um, it, it it will include lots of other things that are related to you know, you know, looking your best in the outside world versus you know, being yeah. half dressed in front of a Zoom call. Yeah. So I, I Morgan Stanley, the investment bank, tracks um, activity in terms of the number of people going back to the office and and. Their latest statistics show that in April, quite a, a big jump for people in the UK going back to the office. So uh, what, what's your opinion on sort of structural changes after the pandemic then? Do, do you think that, um, you know, give it six, 12 months, we might actually see uh, loads more people back in the office and th- this idea that working from home is going to stay may not actually be the case? Well, you know, I think the, the 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 jury is out, but for most companies um, that we've heard from, there does seem to have been a structural shift to greater flexibility, um, and 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 that seems to be welcome from both sides, and and it just depends on how structurally a company has has um, dealt with that. Um, and I know that our own experience aren't a guide to everything else in the world. But if I look at what we're doing at Waverton ourselves, for example, you know, we've, we, you know, there's been uh, a change in how our office is being laid out. Um, we had bought a firm of financial advisors, so they have moved in. And in effect, you know, we probably have, um, you know, 75 to 80% space for everyone so it sort of assumes that that there'll be you know, you've got to book your desks and assumes that people probably work from home one to two days a week that is structural you know we yeah. all want to go into the office we just can't you know we'll have standing room now this is just one example um and from what i've heard from others that you know it, it, it will vary there will be certain um uh, uh businesses where they they need uh people you know, full time in, but but I do think that it it will not be the same as the pre-pandemic um, space, and that over time, as 
you know, in, in our case, we bought a business, so you move them in and you you drop one lease and, you know, you have two in one building. And, and you know, that's a structural thing that, that is event-driven. So I think it'll be event-driven that space structurally adjusts um, and that um, people work from home. And, you know, for the very long term, it'd be very interesting to see, um, you know, if that has a, a an impact on, you know, maybe outsourcing to cheaper countries, you know, because it's um, – anyway – it's, it's, uh, I think this is uh, the start of a journey. Um, typically we are creatures of habits. So, so it's not gonna, you know, we're not gonna stay working from home full time. Um, but I do believe that structurally there will be a shift. Um, we'll spend more time at home, but we will also go into the office. Yeah. So what what other things do you think might change in terms of structural um, changes? I was thinking, obviously, we're going to be buying more stuff online. And obviously, the pandemic uh, has accelerated that change, um, perhaps paying more attention to, to hygiene and healthcare. Or do you, can you think of any other sort of big sort yeah, of no, themes? I, I think absolutely. I mean, I think particularly, I mean, we, we've seen, um, you know, the penetration of, of goods that, that we buy online, you know, rise dramatically. And, 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 and I think for particularly for certain things that are just quite boring to do and are just really easy online, I think they're probably sick. You know, I'm thinking particularly of the, the big weekly shop where we buy the same every week. Um, you, you know, that would be so much greater if that just gets delivered and then maybe we can top up in some local specialty shops so i think that will be a structural shift and i think you're right you know i think um hygiene will will have um will have stepped up uh particularly because at the moment we obviously don't quite know what what will happen on an ongoing basis we know there are mutations we know that maybe we'll you know get boosters either for the vulnerable or for you know to protect us against some some you know quite serious mutations so that 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 keep keep the focus up you know who knows maybe um you know obviously in in many asian countries whenever you know, they have a cold, they already, they wear a face mask, you know. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see to what extent that sticks. I do, I do think most people find it uncomfortable um, and very impersonal uh, to, to wear a face mask or see a face mask. Um, but yes, uh, it, uh, you know, I can see how, you know, maybe more frequent hand washing and the hand gel, you know, might actually be staying with us for quite a long time. And so in, in terms of, Perhaps if, if if investors are looking for ways to play these themes, obviously there's there are companies on the UK stock market that that do should benefit, shouldn't they? You know, there's plenty of hygiene product providers, um, uh, you know, online tech companies. Are there any ones that really stand out from your mind on the on the London Stock Exchange at the moment? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've typically sort of talked talk more about sort of the consumer and, and obviously from from an, an, an online consumption, there's this, um, you know, Ocado springs to mind. Um, you know, the hygiene product providers, you know, the, the, the particularly companies like Record Bankisa, they sell a lot of the debt all stuff. Um, you know they they're doing very well, but but they've they they've done very well for a whole year. So it's also you know where can you where can you go from here? Do are we going to really buy more hygiene products, or or are, is it just going to fall back a little bit and then stabilize at a, a lower level rather than fall all the way back? 
if you know what I mean. Mm. You know, and I think what we haven't really talked about is is um, more the commercial side of things because um, I do think that so, so more remote working will stay to to a certain degree. Um, and also, I think more automation in 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 businesses will stay um, because the, uh, the the ability to um, you know influence things in your plans remotely, for example, checking them or controlling them, you know that that that's been uh, found to be really important that you can do that. Um, and I don't. You know, I don't think that that's going to reverse. I don't think companies say, oh, you know, we're going to don't need it anymore, you know, because I think it's actually found to be essential to your resilience in, in, in these things. So, you know, these are sort of, um, automation companies that you can sort of find in, in, um, you know, in, in industry. And I'm thinking of a company like Aveva that does industrial, um, automation, but also checking and inspection companies. You know, I'm thinking of a company like Intertech that can sort of do remote, uh, uh, checking and inspections of, um, you know, various plants. Uh, that 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 will will be even more important um, going forward than what they were in the past. Well, brilliant, Tineke. Thank you ever so much for joining us on the podcast. It's always good to have you on. Great, thank you. Earlier this week, the Queen outlined the government's priorities for the year ahead as she officially reopened Parliament. We had been expecting some detail around social care funding, which has caused huge anxiety for many people, but. The detail amounted to one single sentence. Now, Mike Padgham is chairman of the Independent Care Commission and also managing director of the St Cecilia's Care Group. Uh, Mike, thanks very much for being with us today. My pleasure. Now, the government has consistently said, as we've spoken about many times, that it is committed to social care reform. Once again, we're still waiting. How did you feel when you heard the Queen's speech yesterday? Well, I, I was positive earlier in the year because it had been uh, trailed that, in fact, it was going to get uh, dealt with in the Queen's speech. And then as uh, it got closer, I read in the national press, in fact, no, it might get a mention, but that's little. So I, I was uh, prepared, I guess, to be let down again. Uh, what is frustrating, I think it was nine words, actually, in this Queen's speech, which is shorter than the one before. And uh, I've been in the... Uh, industry now for 32 years, believe it or not. And each time we get close and, and think something's happening, it uh, the ground's cut away from us. So um, very disappointed, betrayed, angry, really, in a way now, because I, I, I wonder what we can do to actually get social care at the top of the government's agenda. I think I was quite naive when Boris Johnson was elected. I think it was July 2019 when he said on the steps he, was, he had a plan. He was going to get social care fixed once and for all. I believed him. But here we are now, two years later. I'm doubting whether there was a plan and if he's committed to it. So what's the situation like at the moment financially for care providers like yourself, for your customers and for their families? Well, it's a very unfair system as we've got at the minute. I think the challenge is, of course, social care was on its knees before the pandemic came along. So um, where are we now? Well, we've almost collapsed. It's only working on goodwill, in my view, what it's like at the sharp end for a provider. And if I just talk about from the business perspective, um, if we talk just about care homes for the moment, perhaps, um, sadly, we saw lots of deaths in care homes uh, across the country. Uh, disproportionate number of people died. Um, 
many care providers have voids in their own homes. And as uh, listeners will probably know, care homes can only work on high occupancy. Um, I can see some business failures coming into the future because just people have lost their confidence in care homes. They may not get those occupancy figures back up and we may see some failures. So that's dreadful news. What does that mean for families? Well, families might have to move if their care home closes. But we've got that unfair system where uh, it's means tested in social care. Some people get their care paid for completely by the state. Others make a contribution. Some get paid by the NHS because their primary need is health, even though they might have the income to pay for care. Um, it's just a very unfair system, complicated system. It needs reform and we need to be bold. I'd like to see uh, social care free at the point of need, same as the NHS, paid for by a little bit more tax, a little bit more national insurance and spread across the whole population. And I'd like to see care brought in with a national, I'd like a national health and care service, basically. Tom, lots of people do expect that care will be provided for them later in life if they need it, and it will be paid for by the government. What is the actual situation, as, as Mike was alluding to there? Yeah, so the 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 nature of long-term care funding, I think, is quite poorly understood by, by lots of people. And that's partly, as Mike said, because it is really quite complicated and partly because I think for lots of people, it's something that they simply don't want to engage in. A lot of people don't want to think about the possibility that they're going to need care in their later years, or indeed, if they're getting towards their later years, they still might not want to think about it because they're fit and healthy. Um, so if you look just at England and Northern Ireland, there's slightly different um, different limits for the different, different uh, nations of the UK, which again, doesn't help in terms of simplicity. Um, Broadly, at the moment, anyone with total assets worth more than £23,250 has to cover all of their care costs. So that capital limit includes things like pensions, savings. It can include your property as well, although that's not in all circumstances. And so we're in a position at the moment in this country where the vast majority of people uh, particularly with automatic enrolment increasing the number of people who are, who are going to have pension assets as we come come down the track are going to need to think about funding their own care but i think most people probably haven't made any preparations for that and most people probably have no idea frankly that they are going to be on the hook for it if they do need to pay for care and the, the costs of care obviously it depends on the type of care that you get but if you need to go into a residential care home and your care, care needs are quite significant, then the cost can be anywhere from £30,000 to £45,000 a year. Now, you can get care at home, of course, and that can be cheaper. But depending on what your needs are and where you're going to get that care, it can be really, really significant and something that people need to at least consider when they're making plans for the future. And Mike, when we hear figures like that for how much people might need to pay per year, perhaps it, it does make it easier then to start talking about a tax as, as you were, were speaking about just a little while ago. Do you think that people would accept paying more in order to make sure that they had care free at the point of need? Yes, I, I do think. I mean, I'm not a politician, but I, I do believe that the public that I speak to, I do think people are prepared to pay a little bit more for quality social care in the future, because people living past retirement, you want a good quality of life. They might have 30, 40 years to live in social care. So it's it's a question of making sure that they understand that uh, paying something at the beginning, like the health service, you may not need it, but if it's there, if you do, is the way forward. But as your previous contributor said, 
the costs are astronomical when we get down to it, and it's a very foreign system. Some people with means um, are having their care provided by the state, some without are not. And uh, I see families heartbroken sometimes with people living in the same place, one are getting their care by the NHS and others aren't. And that's why we need bold reform. But I do think people have had enough. But, but you know, you don't use social care. It's a distress purchase till you need it. And then you think it's free and then you find out it isn't. So even caring for people's own home, if you have perhaps four or five visits a day, it soon adds up to a considerable sum of money. And Tom, what should people be thinking about when they're planning for their retirement? This needs to be a conversation that they have at that point, doesn't it? It does need to be a conversation, but as as, as Mike says, it's it's really difficult for people at the moment, actually. And part of that difficulty is that we don't know what the social care system is going to look like in the future. We've had successive governments promising reform in this area and then backing out usually because the bill comes at the door and they're not quite willing to pay it. But I mean, I was digging back into some of the history of this and uh, there was a Royal Commission on Care Home Funding, which I'm sure Mike, uh, Mike, Mike, Mike will have been following at the time back in 1997. Now, I was 11 years old in 1997. Now, I'm not 11 years old now, I can confirm that. But we've had, this has been talked about for years and years and years and nothing has ever happened. And that, so it means it's really difficult for individuals to plan because a the system is very complicated and b we don't actually we're expecting the system to change because governments keep promising the system's going to change but then it never does so that's why we need Boris Johnson and this government to come forward and give us at least some stability and give individuals at least some stability and some knowledge of what the system's going to be so they can start to plan for the future but without that having that and you know Mike talked about 32 years I think of waiting for reform and it not happening I don't think anybody can sit on their hands and hope for the best that this government's going to do what previous governments haven't done so the best thing that you can do is know that these costs may come down the line they may not depending on what the government does and factor that into your retirement planning and I think um, in terms of whether or not you receive regulated financial advice or not. I know lots of people uh, will go down that route. Lots of people will be hesitant about going down that route. They might be nervous about the costs, for example. This is an area where getting good quality regulated financial advice can really, really pay because the sums involved are significant and the the, the system that you need to navigate is, is really quite complicated. I agree with Tom. I think it's like when you're younger, do you, do you think about paying for your pension? No, you don't. I think we've got to try and get the population to be thinking about saving for social care early on, just in case the future governments don't do something, and getting those costs covered on day one, really. And I think if we encourage younger people to save for the future, it'll benefit them. But I think another aspect for us all is, um, I don't think politicians think there are votes in social care. Uh, they may be correct at the minute, but I'm pretty confident in due course, there will be a lot of votes. So I would urge everyone to be lobbying their MPs or their prospective MPs for the next election not to elect anyone unless they've got a clear pan for social care signed up and say that they'll they'll step down from office if they haven't delivered this time around, because I think enough is enough, really. Thank you, Mike Padgham from the Independent Care Group and Tom Selby. As we say, the government have said that they are committed to dealing with this situation, but we are still waiting for more detail. So before we go, Danny, let's have a quick word on scams. Now, I know we spoke about them on last week's podcast, but there's actually been some new data which presents a worrying picture about people being conned out of their own money. 
Yeah, a huge rise in scams last year, which I suppose maybe we shouldn't be surprised about because we were all stuck at home. So, you know, we were around to answer our home phones. We were doing an awful lot more shopping online and perhaps people were shopping online or in ways that they had never done before for the first time, maybe not taking the kind of precautions that they needed to. But yeah, figures from Action Fraud have seen that scams last year were up a whopping 44% a total of 389,328 were reported and the losses uh, reaching £1.7 billion. I mean, that is a huge amount of money and you can't help but feel for anyone that has fallen victim to these things. And what has been really interesting to note in these figures that It's younger people who are the ones that are reporting these scams the most. Now, whether or not that is because they're being affected by them more, because they're online more, whether it is because they're reporting it more, whether it is because, you know, older people perhaps are too embarrassed to report them, but it's a vast array of scams. I mean, these fraudsters are incredibly clever and they do their level best to make whatever they're putting out look like it's come from your bank or from a reputable store. So we've got everything from pet scams, you know, people saying that they'd kidnapped your dog and asking for money to get the dog back, all the way through to adverts for cars and caravans, really duping people into handing over their information to paying out cash. And also romance scams up 15%. Now, this is where people meet somebody, they develop a relationship with them online, maybe they think that the person has feelings for them and then wham, bam, I'm in terrible financial difficulty, can you help me out? And people then hand over huge amounts of cash. So then not only are they out of pocket, but in some cases they're absolutely heartbroken. So what they're saying, um, action fraud, is that you just need to stop and think before you take any action. Just double check that the website is exactly what it says on the TIM. Check that that little lock absolutely is there. Check that, you know, the number that you're getting the text message from is actually coming from the person that says that they're sending it from. It's not just some random mobile phone. And the second biggest scam we were talking about this last week, this is where you get that text message saying, you've got a parcel, you owe us now X amount. If you don't pay, the parcel gets sent back to whoever you've ordered it from. Most of us are ordering parcels. Some people are just sending their credit card details through, thinking a couple of quid and being scammed for an awful lot more. Yeah, my phone seems to be buzzing every day with one of these um, text messages or, or, or get a phone call from automated um, voice sort of saying that, you know, and they're all linked to scams. It must be so frustrating, but um, so you've got to be, got to be on your toes, haven't you? So you do. Um, yeah. Internet service provider, HMRC is trying to track you down. Yeah. You're in yes. trouble with the police. All of those things, they're designed to make you panic and react quickly and not think. Yeah. So that's it from us this week. Next week, we'll have two experts from Schroeder's talking about environmental and ethical investing. And fingers crossed, we should also have a well-known name on the show to talk about picking small cap stocks. So until then, thanks for listening. 
Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.